coming up. What an excellent day for questions. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 73 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Chris saying, Carl. And it ends on a close-up of some coffee. Mm, indeed. But before we get to spilling some tea, or I guess I guess it's coffee, with uh, with Chris and Kinderman, let's get back to the top of this minute where we have what appears to be, at first blush at least, a very guilty-looking Carl. I mean, I don't know. Do, do you think he looks kil- uh, guilty, Keenan? Killed? He killed somebody? Kilt- guilty? Ooh, that was a Freudian slip. That was a Freudian slip down some exorcist stairs. Yeah, he he did it. Whatever whatever we're talking about, whatever you're asking about, he did it. Look at him. Just look at him, Your Honor. <laughs> I know nothing. I did nothing. <laughs> sure you didn't. Yeah, Lock yeah. him up, boys. <laughs> no, he definitely he looks he looks so guilty in this in, in this shot right here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so actually, Keenan, this right here is a big big question uh, amongst Exorcist fans. Um, but we're going to get to that in just a second. So we cut from this shot of Carl looking like he got caught doing something. Not only sh- like he did something, but that he uh, he is doing something right now and that he's <laughs> planning on doing something in the future. <laughs> She's caught we're the on to you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut from there to a shot of Chris. And this is a really good shot. I was actually wondering, Keenan, if uh, there's a name for it uh, where – we sort of start on a close-up of Chris uh, with the window behind her, but then we follow her as she moves in this way. It reveals the shot we finally end up on. Um, we, we must have already seen this shot before, but like this time, it stuck out to me just as this like great visual, how we start with the character, we follow them, and then it's like they have pulled the curtain away so that we now see the scene. Mm-hmm. Also, once again, it's like, it's like we are a third party in this scene, turning our head and following Chris as she uh, walks into the hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if there's a name for it necessarily. Where yeah, we're starting with the close-up of this character, and then it's becoming uh, basically something like a master, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming a wide shot. I, I don't know. Um, Federico Fellini, the Italian filmmaker, uh, uh-huh. he is sort of known for doing the opposite, where it looks like a, a master shot, and then somebody walks in out of you know from out of frame, and it becomes a close-up of them, like an eight and a half his masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know if there's a name for that though, but um, but yeah, I usually associate that with him. And they're much mm. more complicated to produce than they are to watch, like because you have oh. to sort of be, uh, you know, pulling rack. You're rack focusing. We're not rack focusing. You're pulling focus basically constantly as the camera's moving, and you know mm. it's easy to mess this kind of thing up. So to do it here as as seamless as they are is uh, just you know harder than it looks. Yeah. Ah, oh, gosh, that like the 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 way that these filmmakers make such technically complicated and difficult things look so effortless Mm -hmm. um i mean i guess that's like you don't even notice it right like it's it's something that you it on the one hand like i guess if you don't know about it you can't really appreciate it but then on the (laughs) other hand like if you know about it you're like I don't know. It takes away the uh, like the the intended effect, maybe. Right. It's all that work in order to be ignored. Yeah, that's the point. The point is that it's not noticed. Yeah, Mm, love it. So Chris asks, 
did you put this in Reagan's bedroom, referring to the crucifix? And Carl answers, no, madam, of course I didn't kill your best friend. I, I mean, put the crucifix. What? What did oh, I say? Carl, I don't know if I would call him my best friend. Wait, what'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> Now let's all calm down. Let's start over. Let's, let's. But no, okay. So, in all honesty, like you said, Keenan, um, Carl really does look guilty here, mm-hmm. and the way he answers, um, he doesn't look at the thing in her hands, as... <laughs> right? <laughs> as if he already knows what yeah, she's talking right. about. Um, he doesn't say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Instead, he responds with uh, with. Actually, with a very touching and very heartfelt, uh, she is going to be well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can see the genuine concern on his face. And and we're going to come back to that in just mm-hmm. a minute as well. Uh, for right now, let's look at things as they are playing out. Mm-hmm. Let's not miss a beat. Um, mm-hmm. He says, she is going to be well. And Chris leans over the banister and we cut to another fantastic shot. Yeah, this one's a noticeable shot, but this is mm-hmm. fan- This is great. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. There are so many shots in this movie that you could just like <laughs> lift directly from the film and like like this could be a painting, you know, right, right. the lines and the shapes, the position of the characters. And and so we got uh, uh, Chris. And this is what I was talking about earlier, folks. This one hallway with its multiple levels and vantage points is so perfect for mm-hmm. constructing scenes, because even though Chris and Carl are in the same place, they are at different levels. And, mm-hmm. and it's natural. It works within the rules of the environment, right? The characters right. are where they are in the shot, um, in the truth of this imaginary house. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what a website is called. Um, uh, it's a film criticism website called Every Frame of Painting. So exactly like that. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah, I would definitely, if somebody if somebody made this into a painting, I would hang <laughs> it up. Mm-hmm. Right above some stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking up at them and yeah, exactly like, like Carl's on the left in our frame and he's lower and Chris is on the right and she's higher, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily just because of, you know, she's also on the landing above him. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's not the only, like, how do you say like <laughs> when we're looking at them from this angle, Chris mm-hmm. could still be lower in our frame and Carl could be higher in the frame, even right. if they're physically, you know, higher and lower because of the way we're yes. manipulating space. So it, it just, it just works out just beautifully and not works out like, Oh, it just happened. Like this is just so well right. composed and she's got the crucifix yeah. and like pointing it at him. At, yes. And it's like, ups, you know, sideways upside down. And it's mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. quite something. And it was like, like the, the way that she's holding it, it mm-hmm. could be, you could look at it as like, she's blessing him mm-hmm. right but then also like she's accusing him. like he's like a vampire like mm-hmm. you know it's like, it's like oh this is like you know or the power of christ you know like she's being a priest herself you know right um yeah well she's, oh, she's got to be because there's no priests around right so you got to yeah, do everything yeah. yourself around here mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how is that not a line that chris says it's like do i gotta do everything myself because <laughs> so far she has <laughs> right <laughs> yeah whose bread do i have to bless to get a priest around here <laughs> <laughs> Christ, who do I got to crucify? <laughs> um, yeah, and we're looking up at this ceiling. Uh, mm-hmm. Have we talked about ceilings on this show? I don't think so. I don't about, think so. Is about, it an excellent day for ceilings today? Uh, maybe. Okay. About the invention of ceilings in movies. You, you might have oh, known. Oh, 
right with history. um with uh with mr with mr kane if mr kane hits charlie mr. kane, kane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a man there's a yeah so um it's mr kane <laughs> yeah just you know if you're a film nerd you might have already heard this story so i apologize but just um you know we're on this studio set and i would guess without having necessarily any evidence of this but that this ceiling is constructed or at least brought on specifically for this shot because you would normally have the ceiling open on a um on a studio because that's you know, most of the time you're not seeing it, so why build it? Mm-hmm, right. And then you would um, you would have the lights there usually. So to get the right. kind of lighting control that you would want, you would normally uh, not you would not want a ceiling there getting in your way. Yeah, yeah. For anybody who has ever tried to do a student film mm-hmm. inside a real house, those ceilings get in the way. <laughs> Mom, can we take the ceilings off? <laughs> of all the lights and the yeah, and no. then of course all the sound and the, yeah. <laughs> like you took the ceilings off last week. I just put them back on. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Yeah, but um, that was the case because uh, most movies were shot indoors in studios from the beginning. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Orson Welles came around and he wanted to do ceilings so they can have shots like this that are about mm. this uh, this Z-axis away from the camera and it's dealing with height, right? So if you mm. think about Citizen Kane, all these wonderful shots from below of, say, um, right. looking up at Kane and behind him is his big uh, campaign poster, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so for that type of shot, you would not they they would normally have told him like no you can't do that because you you'll see all the lights all the lights are up mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. so he said well in theater we have a very very easy uh, solution for this which is to use a scrim and mm-hmm. a scrim is a translucent uh, piece of material and mm-hmm. if you shine the lights um uh, you know on the same side as the camera if you put a light that that hits the scrim it looks opaque and mm-hmm. if you light it from the opposite side on a scrim like uh, they'll do in musicals sometimes you'll have the scrim and everyone will be in the silhouette or something behind the scrim right. and that's because you're lighting it from the opposite side of the scrim from where the audience is and it becomes translucent so it's mm-hmm. like yeah it just it's just some fabric guys just put some fabric up there <laughs> and they're like what so you're telling me that orson Ro- orson wells uh-huh. strolled in <laughs> To, to big Hollywood and we're like guys I got, I got I got some things to tell you about the land of theater <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah you know that's the simplified version of it yeah that, that basically um, because he was so used to theater and radio he was able to to bring in ideas from theater and radio that most people in film hadn't been thinking about yeah interesting well I mean like like so ironic just because I mean like you think about the sets that are constructed for mm-hmm. the camera, and it's almost as if they uh, – I, I mean, I, I always uh, assumed that they were taken directly from, you know, uh, the the backdrops of stage uh, plays and things like that, where you do have mm-hmm. um, walls, you know, like th- a, a three-wall setting mm-hmm. with no ceiling, you know? Yeah, that – you know, that part was something that they absolutely just were like, okay, this is the same, you know, and we'll do that from the 1910s on. We just started doing mm-hmm. that that exact same thing with theater and then they start to diverge so some things are borrowed from theater directly and then some things are um you know become foreign over 30 years before citizen kane happens mm, yeah oh gosh i'd like ugh, i could go on and on about this shot guys um but also i want to speak to our two actors here i want to and, and our two characters chris and carl i want to speak to the tone that chris is using with carl um but actually okay before i do that mm. um keenan how sure would you say that Chris is that Carl is the one who put the crucifix in Reagan's room, regardless of whether or not like you think he did it? Right. What do you think Chris thinks here? I mean, honestly, look at that face. I know this. I'm not I'm not even joking. Like she comes out and he's the first person she sees. And uh-huh. he, it just just let's look at him. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? There's only a couple options, right, to begin with, right? There's only mm-hmm. three other people, three, or let's say four right. with Reagan. So it's Reagan, Sharon, Carl, and Willie, right? Those are the only options. And then she turns yeah. around and there's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is making me think, have you seen those, um, have you seen those TikToks? Where it just it starts out on some kind of like mess in mm-hmm. uh, in somebody's house, like mm-hmm. somebody just like tore, or, like just took all the garbage and scattered it around the living room or something like this, and you just hear the voiceover. It's like, now one of you did this, and then it pans to to two dogs, and one of them's just smiling dopely, and the other one's just looking like right, like super super guilty. So I'm just I'm. It was like okay, like we 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 remake this movie, mm-hmm. and there's a crucifix, and it you know, and it's like now one of you did this, and it pans to uh, Sharon, Willie, and just Carl, just all balled up, and he's just looking like. <laughs> so okay, so but like so my my I, I guess my more specific question mm-hmm. is so it's like like we both we both are looking at carl and being like that is the face of guilt right. those are the eyes of guilt right. right um but i'm i'm trying to get inside chris's head mm-hmm. right like it it struck me the way that she is speaking to him almost like a mother to a child uh-huh, right yeah. it's it's stern but it's gentle at the same time it's accusatory here um it's not it's not at all what i would expect of an employer slash housekeeper relationship mm-hmm. um it's very it's familiar it's familial uh-huh, right right i'm thinking yeah like i said like of a, a, a mother and a child but also to me it seems like she already knows or or, or thinks she knows the answer mm-hmm. and the objective of this interrogation isn't like i want to know carl did you leave this here like i i think she already is is sure about that but what she wants is like i want you to know that I know <laughs> and I want you to be honest with me. Right. What do you think? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But then um, after she hears from Carl, she's going to continue on and ask other people. So, right. Yeah. So, so maybe so, this is all mom, you know, mom show like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, Oh, I just want you to be honest about this. But maybe she doesn't really know. Or maybe mm-hmm. Lisa, you know, she's, she's not convinced by the end of this conversation. Right. Right. Um, so, we cut from there, and we're back outside, back with uh, back with our buddy Kinderman, who is now partway up those steps and slowly but surely ascending. Again, we got ascending, folks. Um, <laughs> again with the ascending. With the again Kinderman. with the ascending. <laughs> with the ascending Kinderman, yes. Um, now, this cut gave me a feeling of uh, tension, like, oh, no, he's closing in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't decide if I'm feeling that because the cut wants me to feel that or just because, like, I know the story. I know there's, like, a danger of Kinderman discovering them. Uh, but at this point in the movie, even Chris doesn't know about that. Or or does she? Does she Does she suspect her daughter yet, do you think? I, I wonder about that. I think that the strongest choice that, that um, Ellen Burstyn is probably pl- has to play is that she doesn't suspect that because, right. because we have the bigger moment later where, where Kinderman is, is telling her all of his evidence and then she starts to suspect that. Yeah. There are a number of moments where I'm like, oh, like, mm-hmm. like now is when she, she mm-hmm. realizes. But like I'm, I'm reserving the, like the moment mm-hmm. moment for some later minutes. And I'm like, right. and anything that happens before, I'm like, no, she can't possibly suspect <laughs> yet, you know? Yeah. But these shots of Kinderman coming up, I mean, first of all, Lee J. Cobb can, is kind of a goofy character, right? Kinderman's kind mm-hmm, of a goofy mm-hmm. character. But when you put him into semi-darkness, he does look like a very foreboding. He looks like the film noir detective that he 
is dressing like that he wants to be yes. right you start yes. to cover him you see him from a distance you put him in this this dark stairway alleyway with all these really sharp lines right and again this this jagged um mismatch of ge- uh, geometry and like oh this 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 guy ain't, ain't nothing to fuck with yeah yeah right. yeah no that that's actually a really really good point Keenan. like i'm specifically as soon as you said that i'm specifically thinking of like one of his last shots mm-hmm. um maybe not the last shot in uh tvyns but <laughs> right um you know like like in the, one of those climactic shots um and if you had seen nothing else of this character and only mm-hmm. saw that one shot that i'm thinking about like you'd be like ooh, like this guy <laughs> this guy is serious yeah. right mm-hmm. okay so yeah i i think we're both in agreement you know chris chris is not uh, suspicious of her daughter yet um but what about us mm-hmm. like us the audience what do we think like are we thinking reagan yet or are we thinking like unfortunate accident like what what do you think i think we have to think it's um captain howdy mm. i think the question a little bit is like you know what how how involved is Reagan and Reagan's body at that point? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. Now I'm just thinking, like, of course, because, like, you know, his head all the way around. Right? Like <laughs> yeah, it's the exorcist. It's got to be the demon who killed Burke or else that would be, you know, right. that would be a whole other thing. Like, if they're, and like, not to say it's bad, but if there were a demon story and there happened to be some other murder that was unrelated, like, you know. In the yeah. days of Ari Aster, maybe that could happen. I, yeah, we have to know it's a demon, or, or at least we. Susp- it's got to be, or else you know, or else it has to be explained how it's not the demon, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know if we know yet that like it was Reagan specifically who did it. Mm, yeah, yeah. But okay, so yeah, last time we saw Kinderman, he was at the bottom of those steps, and then we cut away, and then we cut back, and we've jumped in time. Uh, uh, in the time that it took Chris and Carl to have that conversation, he's already coming up the stairs, and mm-hmm. I couldn't help but but get alarmed, like like oh my god, he's coming up the steps, right? He's onto him. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but like as with all of Kinderman's scenes, it is not without a little bit of humor as right. he as he struggles up those steps. You can see Lee J. Cobb pulling some pretty great faces. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He's huffing and puffing his way up there. And just before the halfway point of this minute, he he looks up to see either how far he has yet to go or he's looking at a, a very specific thing. I think I think it's the latter. He's mm-hmm. looking at something. Um, but his comedic kinderman is uh, shining through here. Um, and actually, okay, so just to back up a little bit, because uh, remember, folks, we started out this section with a feeling of tension, mm-hmm. right? Detective Kinderman is ascending those steps. He's getting closer to the truth. And suddenly now, as we near the top, we're with William F. Kinderman, the schmaltzy basset hound, as he schleps up the steps. Mm-hmm. And going back, that's when I noticed those two Kindermans are separated by a shot of the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's this slow zoom up the steps, though it's it's, it's, a, it's a quick cut. And then on the other side of it, we see the more affable, if slightly winded, Kinderman. Mm-hmm. And actually, now that we see the rest of what's going on, we see that when he looked up, he wasn't just looking at how far yet he had to go. He was looking at a very very specific thing. He was looking at that window. And that is revealed to us in another shot here as we follow Kinderman's gaze. He reaches the camera and then it turns and we turn to see what he's looking at. And that's a little bit like that shot of Chris that you were talking about. That That is a shot of her close up and then we we move with her and it becomes a master. So it's it's oh, a yeah. close up of Kinderman or, or, you know, it's a wide shot of Kinderman that becomes a close up of Kinderman that becomes an over the shoulder, over Kinderman's shoulder onto the window. Oh, I love I, I'm this is. This is my new favorite type of shot. <laughs> yeah, complicated We've seen two of them in this, in this minute. So complicated. <laughs> but like so great for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, now, Keenan, 
I always pictured the window. I think we talked about this before. I mm-hmm. always pictured the window as being like directly above the steps, right. sort of like like hanging over them. So if you or me or or anyone, you know, anybody like like um um Carl, Willie, Chris, <laughs> mm-hmm. Reagan, Kinderman, Jesuit Dean, if anybody <laughs> anybody were to fall out of them, um we could go straight down and that would land us on the steps and then we'd tumble down the rest of the way. Right. But the way it looks in this angle and not just that, but I think I remember seeing something somewhere else. It almost seems like the house is set back a little bit so that to land on the steps, and I think you mentioned this before, you would have to have some sort of like trajectory, mm-hmm. like like you'd have to jump or be uh, thrown out um, and clear a little bit of the distance first. I don't know. Like I, I looked and I couldn't find anything. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even uh, talking about the position of the house in this movie versus in real life. Like even in the movie, right. in this shot, you can see that there's trees under the window. So to get to those steps, you would have to at least clear those trees, right? Right. So two things. I mm. had read relatively recently that uh, that the house, which you when you pull it up on Google Maps, the real house, is uh-huh. is squared off, right? So here we mm. have this window that is um, at least closer to the stairs than the rest of the house as we see. Um, mm. And then that little area of, of land has become the driveway in the movie. Um, mm. the, the house in real life is is squared off it's a square and mm-hmm. this um this addition of reagan's window that is added specifically for the movie so what we're looking at here is a faux reagan's window so in, oh, in the real okay. house so so yeah so they did want to give the effect that it was closer to the stairs mm-hmm. but still keep us separate uh from from the stairs so there's still a little bit of a walkway or something with trees there right yeah because yeah, you were you were wondering the second thing is you were wondering about um you know when they were looking at burke's body down there on m street right mm-hmm. why don't they assume that it's this open window and now we can kind of see why when we're looking up here right like right. even if this window were open and burke's body were geez, all the way down those stairs, or this head all the way around, all the way down the stairs. Um, yeah, you would not necessarily make that connection. So I think that's yeah. part of this here is that Kinderman is making that connection. And um, mm. and he sees that where, you know, it would not be obvious to everybody else. Right. That's how Kinder, that's why he's Kinderman, right? He's making connections <laughs> that nobody else is, he's connecting the dots. Right. He's got the, he's got the imagination of a, a child man, Kinderman. Yeah. Yeah. Child man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, chocolate eggs. I don't know. Um <laughs> But yeah, so now we cut again and we're back in the house. Chris has called a little meeting and it looks like she is standing in the middle of that wood paneled room from before. And now she's interrogating Sharon and Willie. She says this was under Reagan's pillow. Mm -hmm. She's in the center of the room with Sharon and Willie on either side. Um, She turns first to Sharon. Uh, did you put it here, right? She's talking about the crucifix. She's holding the crucifix. And she uses that same reasonable tone uh, to which Sharon replies, of course I didn't, looking and and sounding actually like a little bit hurt. Did you catch that? Yeah. Um, And also a little bit guilty herself, maybe? (laughs) Look at her. Look at her. She's guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Send her to the chair. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, definitely not as guilty as Carl, but looking not there, as but guilty as Carl, sure, but yeah, like, yeah, something, yeah. yeah, there's something off about her right here. Yeah, you know what? You know what? Chris needs Keenan needs needs uh, two two assistants who who examine, extrapolate, and excavate. If, if we're if we're in this meeting, right, we're just sitting on one of those couches, mm-hmm. right, and we're just like, yeah, you tell him, Chris. And every time she asks someone, it's like, yeah, it's obviously it's obviously Sharon. Look at her. <laughs> I think it's interesting that so in the version of the script that we have when she talks mm-hmm. to Sharon, um, Sharon starts off. It's a little bit more of an arc because Sharon doesn't even know what she's even addressing. She's like, what are you, what are you talking, mm. what are we talking about? So she says here, what do you mean? And Chris is like, oh, you didn't? And Sharon says, Chris, I don't even know what you're talking about. Listen, I told you. Chris says, yeah. All I've ever said to Rags is maybe God made the world and maybe things about, fine, Sharon, fine. I believe you. So like, so Sharon has a little bit more of an arc where she's not even sure what this conversation is as opposed to in the finished film where we start there. Um, we, we already start in the middle where Sharon is completely, you know, at least in the know about what we're talking about. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. we also get rid of um, some of this defensiveness from Sharon, where, she, where she's like, right. Sharon is still hurt that Chris is has accused her previously of trying to convert her child. Right, right. Yeah. And that's actually, yeah, that's directly from the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is And we're getting like a little bit of a, a peek into mm-hmm. to Sharon's, um, uh, I guess, propensity to, you know, jump from, from one religion to another. Mm-hmm. And uh, like at the time of this event, mm-hmm. like she's uh, heavily into Christianity. Oh, really? Okay. And then she must be trying to uh, think about at least converting to the equine religion right, and worship exactly. worship the great Equus because mm-hmm. her boyfriend is the horse man. Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, besides, Chris, I don't, I don't even uh, ascribe to that anymore. I'm, I'm all about the horses. <laughs> I'm a horse girl now. I'm a horse girl. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, 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 okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Back up, back up, mm-hmm. back up. So, so wait, you're saying that it plays out like this in the screenplay, where she doesn't know what Chris is talking about at first. Yeah. And then before she knows that it's the crucifix, she says, hey, all I said to Rags was maybe God made the world. That sounds really guilty. <laughs> it's like, how do you know we're talking about God? <laughs> well, yeah, so I guess that's two times, right? Because um, Carl, before he even sees the crucifix and knows what he's talking about, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the moment I have been waiting for. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now I know what you're going to say. <laughs> how do you know? How do you know? How do you know, Carl? <laughs> uh, Butler's intuition. <laughs> I also like here in this shot where Chris is between, she's placed herself mm. between Willie, who's in the kitchen and Sharon, who's at her secretary desk. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, for thinking about how this has happened, so there isn't a third door to this room. So Chris had to specifically go in, in between them. Yeah. And so she's feeling persecuted. Like they're on all sides of her, but she's done this to herself. Right. She's been like, right. you're all against me. Right. He's like, well, you know, you, you put yourself here where you're all all against it. Right. It could, it, yeah, just as easily we could have had um, like one of those shots where, you know, we have a close up, you know, from below of all of them sitting on the couch, right? Mm-hmm, you just got to right. line up, right? You got Carl, Willie, mm-hmm. and Sharon. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like, like uh, feet kind of like, you know, legs are just like walking, <laughs> you know, across the frame. And it's like, now one of you, right? Right. And all mm-hmm. of them just look looking up and guilty and some, you know, but, <laughs> but no, we don't have that. Right. Mm. But yeah, now, okay. So, Back to Sharon, we go from a shot like we're behind Sharon and she's holding she's holding uh, the phone like she's touching the phone and then we cut and now she's like holding like a like an envelope or something like that. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, some kind of like like uh, one of those like Rolodex cards or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, you're okay. Right. So, yeah, well, she's clutching something um, and it almost <laughs> seems like like she's she's doing it for like like 
I, I, I learned about stims. Do you know what, what those are? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like things that you do to like stimulate yourself, like when you're nervous or anxious or something like that, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. like twiddle your fingers or, or, or like rub your, 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 your hands together or something like that. Right. Sure. I, um, I click pens a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my thing. Um, I've had to learn to stop doing that during the lectures. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was, Doing one of my early student lectures, uh, I was guest lecturing in a class when I was still an undergrad. I was really lucky to, to be able to do that here. Mm-hmm. And my mentor, uh, Dr. Hart Wegner, who is this very tall, very imposing man, I was clicking on. Oh on yes, Dr. Wegner. Yes, Dr. Wegner. Yes. yes, I was clicking on on this pen as I was speaking, and uh-huh. he and he was uh, just observing my lecture and everything. And then he gets up. He's huge. He's he's like eight <laughs> feet tall. He's a beast of a man. So this <laughs> is basically he, Carl. He's basically Carl. Uh, yeah, he's giant of a man. And he comes over and he he takes the pen from my hand and puts it down on the desk <laughs> and then just goes back and sits down again. And I go, oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like, how how can I do this without embarrassing him while he is up there? <laughs> oh, no. He was doing it to embarrass me for sure. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. Oh, boy. Dr. Wagner. <laughs> yes, ah. that was message received. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if, if, uh, if Sharon is just kind of like, um, like, you know, she's grasping onto anything that she can, mm-hmm. right? Like she's right. getting on the phone. She's, uh, uh, on that, on that little uh, piece of paper there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cause she's guilty. She's guilty. She's, she's obviously guilty. <laughs> just look at her. Who holds a piece of paper? Come on. <laughs> Unless you killed some, I mean, like put a crucifix under somebody's pillow. But yeah, so so then Chris turns to Willie, who's mm-hmm. who's also holding on tightly to something, right? Look at that! Look at look at the dust cloth or the dish rag or you know, or or, or a lie. That's what she's yeah. holding on to. The murder weapon. Yes. <laughs> we've all we've already uh, like like conflated like murder with with the crucifix. <laughs> yeah. It's like it was obviously the person who did one of those things did the other thing. Yes, it was a dusting most foul. Yes, <laughs> using that to get rid of fingerprints, Willie. Um, mm-hmm. But no, but Willie says it's like I didn't put it right. Mm-hmm. Just just very very quickly, right? <laughs> and this is where I guess I remember in the book. Uh, I re- I remember the book a little bit better. Um, this is where Chris loses it like mm-hmm. she she screams like she's like she's like that cross didn't just walk up there god damn it one of you is lying right <laughs> yeah and that's in the script that we have so that's been cut out this has been mm. changed a little bit right Mm-mm-mm. and like it's it's actually like and, and tell me tell me if you got that feeling from the screenplay like it's this very emotional scene mm-hmm. where afterwards she sort of like breaks down into tears and Sharon goes to her and tries to comfort her and she's and and Chris admits she says I guess whoever did it was only trying to help Mm. Um, and I'm noticing like, and maybe this is because we have more time in a book, uh, mm-hmm. like a little bit more ramping up and then coming back down and then ramping up and then coming back down in the book. Whereas mm-hmm. in, in the movies, we reach a tension point, like, like with Sharon and Chris arguing in the hall right before the AD comes in to tell them uh-huh. it's dead. Right. And here again, we have an emotional scene that is interrupted by something or someone. Um, and it, like, this is something that I've also like heard attributed to like Shakespeare. 
the interruption of the natural flow of a scene mm-hmm. uh, via knocking, like on a door, right? Um, and how that's like never good. The <laughs> right. Music, it's good for drama though, right? right. Good, we, great for drama, right? But we don't, uh, yeah, we don't get the chance to have the catharsis until the end, right? Right, right. The end right. of the whole, the whole piece. Exactly, right? But like, like news is always bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's always a problem, right? Like I guess you could also say, give that to like the ringing of a phone or, or mm-hmm. like the TV or the radio is like, 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 and now we bring you a special report, right? It's never good news. <laughs> it's never, hello, Mrs. McNeil, you've won the publisher's right. clearinghouse. <laughs> <laughs> right, you get, you get $750,000 a year for the rest of your life. Oh my God, Reagan, come down here. And Reagan's like, oh my God, mom, I love you. I'll stop, I'll stop being such a devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carl just he comes in. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, madam, the doctors are here. They found out exactly what's wrong. And, you know. <laughs> they said not to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, right. The only time that happens is as as jokes, right? Like I'm thinking of um, when Forrest Gump, um, Lieutenant Dan invests in what Forrest calls a, a small fruit company. And it's mm-hmm. Apple. Oh, right. It's Apple computers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just Lieutenant Dan says we didn't have to worry about money no more. So I thought that's good. That's one less thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. a joke that that he lucked into all of this money. Yeah, yeah. Ah, but yeah. So so the movie's a little bit different in that it it doesn't let this scene resolve, right? Mm-hmm. Um I mean the book doesn't let it resolve either. Like it, it doesn't answer the question of of uh, of who put the crucifix there, or does uh-huh. it? Um <laughs> but like even this one, this one doesn't like have the kind of like the emotional like up and down. It's just like it ends on an up, right? Like after Chris questions Willie, she doesn't explode. She she actually sort of looks at the cross almost like, did you walk up there by yourself? <laughs> right? And and before she can say and, and like before she can like do anything else, we get the knocking and Carl saying like, excuse me, madam. Um, oh, yeah. She's looking at it herself. He's like, is this a crucifix I see before me? Exactly. <laughs> I no idea, right? <laughs> like, am I the crazy person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what do you think, Jesus? Um, <laughs> You're the only one I haven't asked. I think, Chris, honey, you better sit down, girl. Yeah. <laughs> we got the Pharisees behind Chris on the couch. It's like, he's guilty. Look at him. <laughs> up on that cross. Right. Who would be up on a cross if he wasn't guilty? I know, just, psh, only criminals. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. Now, Keenan, this whole fight. Mm-hmm. I was confused about this before I read the book. Maybe I'm just slow. Maybe it's still obvious in the movie why she's mad about the crucifix, mm-hmm. or do you think it is? Do you think audiences understand that she's mad because she just got finished talking to the docs about how Reagan might believe she's possessed, so the crucifix could be like a trigger uh, mm-hmm. to her like overly active imagination? Because that went over my head the first time I saw it, and I just thought she was mad about having it in the house. Yeah, completely. I I did not pick up on this connection between what they said at the Behringer Foundation and clinic until you had and foundation. Oh wait, yeah, you already said it. <laughs> oh, I said it wrong. <laughs> I was like, why does it not sound right? Yeah, the bear, the bear. I said the Behringer Foundation and clinic, which isn't right. It's the Behringer mm-hmm. Clinic, right? And foundation. And foundation. <laughs> do you want to try, try that one more time? No, no, no. That's to okay. keep that. That's fine. <laughs> I was wondering why that sounded wrong in my mouth. Like it mm-hmm. felt like I had I had nettles in my mouth all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like something just wasn't rolling off the tongue right. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, until you had mentioned that that angle of it, I, that had not occurred to me mm-hmm. that that the crucifix is upsetting because it might have um, yeah incepted this idea into Reagan. That had not occurred to me. That right. makes so much sense. I I think it's also just interesting that like 
so the way I've always read it, I think mm. is still a valid way of reading it. Not just because I'm the one reading it this way, but, <laughs> but that like she she is essentially being told that Reagan is imagining herself as a demon, right? That she's mm. being possessed, right? Right. And then still Chris as this atheist is still like, no, we still have rules in this house. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do all sorts of crazy things. I'm going to take them. I'm going to let them fill my daughter's head up with helium. I'm going to, I'm going to take her to a psychiatrist or whatever. Um, you know, all this stuff, but no, absolutely no God in this house. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. still, that's still really interesting. Mm. It's hurting her daughter, like in this, in the, right. in the form of this, like imagined possession. And now somebody, some random person is also like, like placing crosses, like Easter eggs all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like she, right. you can't get away from religion. And she's like, no. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting the way that she's talking to, to some of these people at the beginning, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl and, and, um, and, and Willie here, like. It does remind me, I, I'm someone who doesn't have faith, but, you mm. know, when somebody brings up their faith to me, I try to be as respectful as possible. And I try, mm-hmm. I try very hard not to, like, dismiss them. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, and try to understand them. And usually it's with, you know, if they don't have a big, you know, um, God hates you sign here at the campus, because yeah. <laughs> we have those people who come up with the mm-hmm. giant sign. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been to college campus in the past 20 years, there's usually at least three times a week somebody on campus wow. in one of the designated spots with a giant sign that says God hates, you know, yeah. you and you and you and you. And you. And so, yeah, so, yeah, some of them are swear words and slurs that I want to say, but like even even wow. here in Las Vegas, they'll say like God hates Mormons, which is just like, like, like get out of here. Like, what are you talking? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, God hates Mormons and mm-hmm. God hates um, women who work outside and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so unless they're like that, usually, I, you know, I, I try to say like, okay, this is a well-meaning thing and, mm-hmm. you know, and I appreciate it and it's beautiful, but... Yeah. But yeah, so she start, She seems to want to be at least starting from this place, Chris, right? But mm-hmm, then she's mm-hmm. still like, I, I hate this so much. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, okay, like I want to, I want to examine this from a mm-hmm. third angle here. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what we know about uh, book Chris mm-hmm. and you know that dream about um, you know just like the end and death right. and not existing and everything like that, and then her being drawn specifically to this priest who is having a crisis of faith, right? You know, mm-hmm. she passes by and it's like, there's not a day in my life. I don't feel like a fraud, right? She overhears that. She mm-hmm. she sees him. And I mean, maybe she doesn't know his whole backstory about how he's having a crisis of faith, but like she recognizes in him, like I wonder if it's like a like calls to like thing um, mm-hmm. where she's, She's not a happy atheist. <laughs> you know, uh, right. She's 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 you know uh, uh, obsessed with this idea of mm-hmm. of death, and uh, you know she she's kind of like uh, trying to come to terms with it, and then here she meets uh, this priest who I don't, maybe she just gets like a vibe off of him that mm-hmm. like he's kind of going through the same thing, right. and her attitude towards this one priest versus her attitude towards like the church, right? Because she has, a like, in the same scene in the book, she has a reflection about, um, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, John F. Kennedy went to that church and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, resurrection and the life after last, you know, and she she makes this joke. She's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, don't call us, we'll call you, right? <laughs> um, you know, and she hopes it rains and, and all this stuff. And she's, she's, I don't know, um, it, it, it almost seems like she, ah, oh, she wants that so much. And, and maybe the fact that other people around her are, like, so easily believing it and so comfortable in believing it and Mm -hmm. that you know that could that could you know trigger you and make you a little bit angry it's like damn it like why why is it so easy for you like like this is like like why are you why are you not having these thoughts why are you not having these like horrible existential fears and and things like that and then just like boom crucifix under reagan's pillow and it's like Mm -hmm. right 
you think it's so simple, right? You think it's just so easy, right? Yeah, you just right. Put this 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 is from her perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying this is this is the truth or anything. But right. like, oh, you put this little fetish or this talisman under under your pillow, and everything's mm-hmm. just going to be okay. Like I hadn't thought of that. Like you just don't, yeah. you know, like you don't you don't. It's like you are not only like going against my rules about religion, but you think that I'm stupid enough not to right. have thought of this, right? Yes, that's yes. that's the other. It's it's like you know, it's like well, Chris is, uh, um, you know, she's well, you know, she's just not she's not pious enough, she's not uh, uh, good enough, she's not smart enough to believe right. in this. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to fix her daughter for her. Like yeah, ooh yeah. That, mm. Okay, so second question. Whether we know that's why she's mad or not, again, after I read the book, it was a little bit clearer. So let's say we know why she's mad. Mm-hmm. Do Sharon, Willie, and Carl know? Like, I'm trying to decide if this is another case of a thing that I absolutely hate in movies, where a little communication would solve everything. <laughs> it's the classic, whatever you do. Don't push that button. And then they go, <laughs> why not? And then the first character never elaborates, never says it'll blow up the ship or it'll blow uh, the gates and, and let the zombies in. Like something, something that like if you told them, they would mm-hmm. 100% cooperate with you. But mm-hmm. instead, now they're curious and now they're going to press the button. Well, yeah, that sounds like, uh, like you know, Jehovah. <laughs> <laughs> You you remember this remember this tree (laughs) touche keenan diaz (laughs) there's a certain tree with a certain fruit (laughs) well 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 it all comes back around (laughs) no but then in in movies um roger ebert had this little movie glossary where he invented up these little terms or or got them from other critics like um Mm -hmm. like the carmen coincidence we've talked about a lot is right or the the gandhi movie and yeah exactly So another one he says is the idiot plot, and that's mm. a plot that would not uh, sustain itself unless everybody in the movie were an idiot, mm. right? <laughs> that, that if they if they just able to explain it to each other, oh, okay, that makes sense. Thank you so much. So so maybe we, you know, the extras may not be an idiot plot overall, no. but maybe this this is an example of that. But um, kind of like this movie making moment. shortcuts where it's like we don't like if if we explain this, then there mm-hmm. wouldn't like the characters wouldn't do what we need them to do, right? You see, uh, you see. <laughs> both of us, uh, Algernon and I both use the name Ernest when we go into town. <laughs> and so this causes a little bit of confusion if we just refer to Ernest, who's not a real person. So <laughs> please don't refer to Ernest here and how important yeah. he is. <laughs> or like, like okay, the, the, those 80s movies where like the kids are running from like a crazy Jim Henson monster, right? And, <laughs> oh, and they're like, like, we can't tell the adults. The cops won't help us. Nobody's going to believe that the librarian is a werewolf. <laughs> so, hey, kids, don't mm-hmm. say that. Call the police and say that the librarian is in your house. It's, it's still him. <laughs> you know? Or like, or, you know, it's like, it's like nobody's going to believe that Bigfoot is in my backyard. No. <laughs> Call the animal control and say there's a wild animal in my backyard, and then they'll come and they'll figure it out. Oh, like, wow. You're really – you're trying to get Harry killed by these Hendersons. <laughs> <laughs> you're the, you're the, Harry, the Harry and the Hendersons Karen next door who's like, kill Harry. Well, no, because in the movie, the Harry and the Hendersons Karen would, would, would say something like, I don't know what's going on there, but <laughs> – But I'm going to find – I'm not going to ask anybody. 
No, yeah, she's not going to call the police. She's going to get to the bottom of it herself. (laughs) She's going to buy some super industrial binoculars and and hide in their garbage cans. People, just, just, the infrastructure is in place so that you can use it. (laughs) Pull the fire alarm if there's something. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's gremlins in the school lab. Pull the fire alarm. No, actually, don't pull the fire alarm because that's the sprinklers. No, no, don't. Okay. I wouldn't. Listen to the rules. Yeah, listen to the rules. Follow the fucking rules. God damn. Okay, okay. Speaking of like, like, okay. Speaking of gremlins, right? Like, whatever you do, don't feed them after midnight. Why not? Because they turn into gremlins? No, actually, actually, what what they should have said, like, like, whatever you do, don't feed them after midnight. Why? Because they'll die. Right, and don't get them wet. Why? Because they'll die. Right? Like all you gotta say but is instead, that. Instead, like the white daddy goes to Chinatown. Is like, well, clearly I've exhausted all of you fine people's English, so I'm not gonna ask any follow up <laughs> questions. But it's like, it's like you're you're a weird, crazy uh, uh, investor type. Like you don't mm-hmm. want to lose your investment on this animal that oh. you just bought. All of That's these things, yeah. right? All of these things, don't do them or you will lose your investment. That's all you got to say. <laughs> That's getting into the mindset of the 80s. Right. Now, now you're thinking like Reagan's America. <laughs> Reagan, Reagan's America. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uncle Reagan. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, what I'm, what I'm saying is I think if Chris was just like, look, guys. The doctor said this could actually be what's making her like this. So it could be feeding into her fantasy. And Sharon and Willie and Carl would be like, oh, wow, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Uh, because mm-hmm. none of them want Reagan to be like this. <laughs> right. So, so Chris, just clue them in. Get them on the same page. Just say yeah, the I, thing. And Chris would be like, you know what, everybody? I'm really sorry. I'm the one who's going into the means of the doctors because I'm her parent. I haven't been doing a really good job of spreading that information to the team. And I've been mm-hmm, asking mm-hmm. you all <laughs> to, to help with this recovery without sharing some of the burden and maybe yeah. that's on me <laughs> oh miss mcneil now that i know and she's like please call me chris <laughs> there we go <laughs> uh, okay yeah so so <clears throat> now now that we've gotten all of that out of the way um i i think we can finally talk uh about this keenan um mm-hmm. i think i said before that this is still a question amongst Exorcist fans. I have seen it discussed and debated in multiple places during my research of this minute. Keenan, who did leave the cross up there? Right? Like, I have my answer, which, okay. according, according to some of the sources, goes against even what Blatty said. Oh, okay. But I wanted to hear your opinion. Oh, well, I was going to say Carl. Mm, okay. I think that seems clear. But if you're saying there's a secret answer, I'm not thinking. Now I'm over overdoing this. Mm, I'm overthinking mm, mm, it. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I'm totally like trying to think outside of the box. Okay. And if like an Agatha Christie mystery, uh-huh. if our options are Sharon, Willie, and Carl, mm-hmm. then the answer is that Burke put it there. <laughs> <laughs> right. He put it there before he died. Right. And we've been trying to find who did it. And we can't because he did it. Right. In all the confusion, right. We didn't even look <laughs> under the pillow. Right. Ah, so that's not right. Damn it. No, no. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Damn it. All right. Okay. Well, then the other option is that Chris put it there in <laughs> in in some delirium during in, that in, dream in where somnambulism. St- oh my yes. God! It runs in the family. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. That's the other option. Then. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. All right. So no, not not that either. No, no, I don't okay. think so. No. Damn it. I mean, okay. I mean, hey, any of these could be right. Like, folks, write in <laughs> theexorcistminute at gmail.com, right? Um, but no, I, like, okay. So for me, it can only be one character. Okay. As we look at what the placing of this cross has accomplished, mm-hmm. even as we look at this single minute here and we see the doubt, we see the isolation, maybe not despair, but certainly distrust, which is mm-hmm. being sown amongst our characters. To me, mm-hmm. it can only be Captain Howdy himself. Oh, well, how would – oh, that's very interesting. I had not thought of that. that that's the – that's an Agatha Christie answer as well, but that would make sense. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's just go purely by movie mm-hmm. rules of what, uh-huh. what we have and have not established about these mm-hmm. characters, right? Um, so there has been nothing up to this point – to show us that Sharon, Willie, or Carl are in any way religious, right? In the final mm-hmm. cut of this movie, there is nothing. Right. Like maybe in the script, maybe in, in early drafts of the screenplay, mm-hmm. maybe even in the book, right? But if we're looking at this movie right now, right? I'm using I'm using your Laurie Strode argument right here. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Yeah. <clears throat> if if it if it were one of them, you would think that there would be some kind of like earlier moment where they say something like, Madam, I have to leave early today. I have to go to church or or maybe Sharon is wearing a little gold cross or or someone crosses themselves when Reagan starts cursing. Right. Something right. something somewhere to indicate that one of them is in any way religious. Right. Or that can come up later even, which we don't have that. Either. Right. Yeah. So not before or after. Um, I don't I don't think that's out of line for me to expect that from a movie is it not at all okay good right i wanted to say right. if we don't see it it's not there mm-hmm. that's the laurie my laurie strode rule right, right if right. we aren't told they're brother and sister they are not brother and sister unless we have some kind of evidence in the film which we have nothing about. right right and we're talking about like you know it, the apocalypse has happened and mm-hmm. every other star wars movie has been incinerated except <laughs> except for episode four mm-hmm. and that's all we have to go on then we don't know that Darth right. Vader is Luke's father or, right. or Leia's father. And right. for all intents and purposes, if we're just looking at that movie and that movie is the only one that exists, then mm-hmm. he isn't. Right. But yeah. So now. Well, he, I mean, again, you're like Luke and Leia kiss. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so what are, you, what are you supposed to do with that? Right. But wait. That happens. Oh, yeah. That happens in, in, yeah, in the episode first four. One. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, not the first one, Keenan. Actually, the fourth one. <laughs> no. I will turn off your microphone if you do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. That, uh, that happens in the only one in this in this uh, post apocalyptic. Right in world. this experiment. Yeah, this is the only movie. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to back to our movie. Back to The Exorcist. Now here's where it gets a little tricky. But again, even in the book, I think this is all by design, right? Designed to further separate Chris from the people that she trusts. So in the book, Chris and Sharon butt heads several times, like we talked about, about um, Sharon's current religion. Remember, as I said, um, it was established in the book that Sharon was sort of like bouncing from one religion to another. Mm -hmm. And this was something that sort of annoyed Chris, right? Again, Mm -hmm. we talked about like how, how that can kind of trigger you if you're if you're having trouble with that in your own self, you know? Yeah. Um, so they have this little back and forth near the beginning where it's revealed that Sharon is into transcendental meditation. And okay. then uh, later in that scene, we see Chris and Reagan are sightseeing, right? Remember that like scene that we mm-hmm. cut uh, from the movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's where Reagan asks Chris, mom, why do people have to die? Not knowing what to say to that, who would? Chris says, because they get tired. 
And Reagan responds, why does God let them get tired? Now, Chris didn't say anything about God. So she's surprised and she asks, like, who's been talking to you about God? And Reagan replies, Sharon. Mm-hmm. And it's here that we discover, ah, okay, this is Sharon's new fixation. Now she's all about Christianity. So when they get home from that scene, Chris asks Sharon about it, like, like, hey, what have you been telling Reagan about God? And, and Sharon says, well, you know, she just asked so many questions. What am I supposed to say? You know, uh, mm-hmm. so, so she's not pushing it on Reagan, right? She's mm-hmm. just answering uh, what she believes, what she currently believes, right? Mm-hmm. And I like, I like Chris's answer in the book. She says, give her multiple choice. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, none of that is in the movie. That scene was cut out. In fact, amongst some fans, the main suspect seems to be Carl. Mm-hmm. Some folks even say that Blatty himself has said this. Uh, although I have not been able to find the source where he confirms that. So folks, if you know the place, the article, the interview, the documentary where Blatty says that it was Carl who left the crucifix, please write to us and let us know. Because right now, I think I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Um, okay. Now, how about you, Keenan? No, look at him. <laughs> look at his goddamn <laughs> face. <laughs> look at his dog in trouble face. That is him. He did it. <laughs> no, I like your idea, though, that mm. that, that Reagan, Cap and Howdy did it uh, him herself. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. that is the most chaotic, and there's plenty of evidence to uh, to say that. And it seems to, if we believe everybody at face value that they don't even they don't even recognize this crucifix, right? Mm-hmm. Then that makes sense that Reagan went and got it from the church where she uh, where she desecrated the uh, Virgin Mary statue, right? right. And I have heard, and like you know, um, I, I think there are some folks out there who are saying it's like, oh, but if it was the demon, how could he touch the crucifix? Folks, the demon touches the crucifix a little bit more. <laughs> A little bit later, <laughs> but the demon—the demon does not have an aversion to the crucifix. No, that, like um, because the demon is Mesopotamian and oh god, <laughs> the demon does not have a a aversion to no to no. We're going to talk about this later. This is. <laughs> I have right. not planned this out enough yet. No, no, no. But we can't. We can't just say like, okay, the demon, like the demon's a vampire. You know, the demon's a Dracula, right. and these, right. so it has these Dracula rules. Like that's not anywhere in our movie or book. Yeah, yeah. It's it's even I think um, it's it's mentioned right. Like that that famous thing. Like the devil quotes scripture. Right. The devil mm-hmm. can use you know religious things to to get you on his side anyway. Right. So even he's it, an angel. He's an it. Well, yeah. Right, there we go. And right? he's a satan. He is a he's a cross examiner. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Oh, a, I've learned so much from you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Even even a Christian demon would would have no trouble touching a cross, right? Yeah. A cross from where? <laughs> That's the stupidest one that we have. <laughs> It's not me. It's Arrested Development. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Folks, a- another another uh, favorite Mark Twain quote of mine, um, mm-hmm. against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. And I think I think <laughs> this podcast has well, – I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's proven that or not. I don't know if we're, we just sound like a bunch of chuckleheads um, talking about like a very serious dramatic movie that a lot of people mm-hmm. love and just like, mm-hmm. who the fuck are these guys? Like when, when will they get to the – you know? Um, but yeah, that's my opinion is that it was Captain Howdy himself mm-hmm. because as we're going to see later, Captain Howdy pulls these tricks 
which seem to direct attention away from himself, right? Mm-hmm. And more towards uh, uh, the other characters, trying to get them to um, fight or trying to get them to not trust each other, trying to get them to not trust themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Love it. That's a great uh, great solution to that mystery, Lester. Mm-hmm. We did it. Right. Yeah, we, we, we solved it. Okay, so uh, thank you for joining us. The last episode of The Exorcist Minute. Um, we're all done here, folks. Yeah. And again, folks, th- this is just my opinion opinion. Um, so if you disagree or if you have some more insight about about this, because I know this movie is how many years old now? 50 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie is 50 years old and people are still uh, talking about this one mystery of who left the crucifix, right? So like, I don't want to pretend that like I'm the one who, you know, like we, we solved it on this on the show. <laughs> like, like if you have if you have uh, other ideas or other opinions, write to us and let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like or if, if you just like have this firm belief that it's that it's uh, one or the other, that, like don't don't let my idea kind of like ruin the movie for you you know what i mean right yeah but yeah this this is where we have to tread lightly folks and respect everyone's uh, beliefs um and that sounds like we're being overly careful overly sensitive but i i think earlier during the run of this show we likened the accuracy or the uh canonical aspect of a beloved franchise to a religious text right and uh-huh. and the inclusion or the exclusion or the re-inclusion of uh, uh missing or redacted or or newly discovered pieces of that text never fails to get everybody talking usually in in raised voices right um <laughs> we talked before about how you know everyone freaking out over uh the gospel of judas or the gospel of mary magdalene um because those paint a vastly different picture from what is currently accepted as the canonical story right and, and established 2000 year old uh, religion is going to freak out a little bit like when we say hey i found another puzzle piece in the box it turns out it goes here um that's that's going to ruffle some feathers right especially especially if you've been operating for 2000 years on the basis that there were no other puzzle pieces in the box right right similarly a lifelong fan of Star Wars episode four, five, and six um, have had a generation in some cases, in some cases, two generations um, of time to live and grow and play and share with their kids, the established mythology, the gospel of those three movies. Of course, they're going to have something to say about episodes one, two, and three, or (laughs) episodes seven, eight, and nine, right? Those extra puzzle pieces, right? Like I I already have the completed puzzle. I finished it with my kids in 1983, (laughs) right? Like I framed it. It's hanging on my wall. What the hell are these new pieces, right? Palpatine scared the shit out of my kid, and then Vader turned good and saved his own son by throwing Palpatine down the hole and thereby saving my son. And I look back on that time and how we bonded watching that for the first time. Fuck you with your new puzzle pieces, (laughs) right? See, now, now it's even worse in the Star Wars example because there were books and board games mm. and, all, and video games that were um, extra textual canon, mm-hmm. and they were told by the company that that these were canon, these are canonical um, books and etc. And these are this is the story of um, uh, Leia and Han's twin children who are the new face of the Jedi, etc. Right. And then they were like, never mind, and and. <sighs> That's even that. So that would be like if the Catholic Church like said like, oh, you know, all of a sudden the Book of Ruth is not part of right, the yeah, canon, yeah. <laughs> or Corinthians or something mm-hmm, major, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, like, and 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 for that reason, like, I can sympathize a little bit with mm-hmm. that, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah, I, like like I'm I'm not as invested as for for example, like I'm not as invested in the Star Wars universe as I right. am in say the Exorcist, mm-hmm. but I I can totally see how that would make you feel bad. Like, hey, remember how you loved Star Wars growing up and you. 
and you collected all the toys and you played Star Wars in the backyard and then you grew up and had a kid and now he has the toys and he's playing Star Wars and you read those extra uh, books, mm-hmm. right? That were canon, right? Well, mm-hmm. this new movie says that you were playing it wrong. You were wrong, <laughs> right? I can see how that hurts a little bit, right? By following the rules. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So all that to say. This movie, The Exorcist and the book are 50 some odd years old at this point. Um, You know, people have already decided what is gospel and what is not. So if you believe it was Carl, then it was Carl. Because that's your your personal history and your connection with this movie. If you believe it was Captain Howdy or Sharon, same thing, right? There's there's no right or wrong. Uh, Is it wrong if it's the horse man? That's wrong. (laughs) This, okay, this is my take on it. I don't buy the whole... Carl was Catholic in an earlier draft thing. Uh-huh, right. Because that's that's what they're they're saying is that Blatty has admitted that Carl was Catholic in an earlier draft of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. But I don't buy that. Keenan, like we said, if it's not in the finished movie, the one that people see, then it doesn't exist, right? right. Now, now I say this fully aware that I am already a hypocrite because I believe Vader is Luke's father and Michael Myers is Laurie Strode's brother, (laughs) even though neither of those things is established in the first film. So I am a hypocrite who is throwing some stones right now. I fully Mm -hmm. admit it, right? Right. However, Blatty coming out and saying that Carl was Catholic one year after the release of the movie Mm -hmm. and saying it was just in an earlier draft of the screenplay, and sure, I believe him, but true or not, it doesn't jive with the fact that there's nothing about Carl being Catholic in the book. Mm-hmm. And you would think that if this fact were anywhere, it would be in the book first, then an early draft of the screenplay, and then it gets taken out, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think this is one of several instances of Blatty's own work being overshadowed by the larger fandom and him just running with it because it's gotten bigger than him and he just wants his baby to do well. That's not a bad reason, yeah. No, no, not at all, not at all. The fans like this idea, so I'm going to just keep it there, right? Right, right. That's that's not a bad idea, yeah. Like, like maybe maybe he wasn't aware of how, like, like, oh, they didn't pick up on, like, I wanted it to be Captain Howdy, right? I, again, I'm just I'm just speaking from my my perspective again. But like, mm-hmm. I can see where where he's like, oh, okay, like th- the fans have have gra- gravitated towards this thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, sure, I'm gonna let that uh, uh, evolve, right? Right. Um, but yeah, actually, I'm I'm gonna drop a little teaser in here and say that another example is the head turning, where Blatty sort of puts up his hands and admits that people like the movie version better. So he seems to be, let's say like eventually supportive of fans <laughs> or, or even a director misinterpreting his own uh, vision as long as it serves his baby. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Which and, like, I'm going to drop another teaser here, folks. Um, I think that's actually what's going on with another character, a very prominent character in this uh, book. Folks, I have been holding this back. Uh, we've, we keep on dropping little hints because uh, we can't help ourselves. Um, but I've, I've been holding back throwing this stone since we began this podcast, this cunting podcast. <laughs> I have opinions about one character that if I said them, mm-hmm. I'm terrified now that it's how it's going to be uh, uh, received. Okay. Um, there's there's an act- actually an episode where I cut a 30-minute section of me ranting about how I think people are wrong about this character for like 30 minutes and then I cut it out because I was scared. Was I there? Uh, yeah, you were there. And I don't remember there. this yeah. at all. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, 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 again, I learn a lot of what I say by listening to the podcast. So if Lester cuts <laughs> it out, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you made me listen to a 30-minute thing that you've cut out of the podcast. 
<laughs> and then you have the gall to remind me of that about how you mm-hmm. wasted my time. Exactly. Because exactly. until right now, I'd completely not even remembered it and then <laughs> held it against you at all. But now. <laughs> Forgive me, Keenan Friedson. Um, but say, yeah, see, like, yeah, folks, see if you can tell which episode that was. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. That's that's that, that's a testament to my editing. <laughs> I'm not even going to say that because I'm going to cut that part out. Right, okay, okay. Now watch me not cut that part out. Um, but yeah, yes, folks, I am going to talk about it. Um, I guess I have to now. Um, and it has to be before a certain point in the movie, which is very quickly approaching. So bear with me. Sit tight. Stay tuned. Keep your dials turned to Exorcist Minute FM. I will explain myself. And after I do... You will either keep listening or not. Um, this, will, this will be our Gospel of Judas, I think, our blasphemous puzzle piece oh. in the Exorcist mythos. Great. Hmm. But for now, let's get back to this minute. So just to sum up, Keenan, um, you think it was Carl who left the yeah. crucifix, and I think it was Captain Howdy. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this never gets resolved here because it is interrupted when Carl says, there is a man to see Chris. What man? She asks, and Keenan, I am I am a sucker for cuts where one shot ends in a question and then the mm-hmm. next cut answers the question, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who could the killer possibly be? And then we cut to <laughs> like a close-up of the killer's face, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I really like that. And I don't know if that's just like uh, like like a shortcut or shorthand for like it makes us think we're smarter, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I know who it is. It's this person that the movie just decided to show me. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to be told. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that guy. Or just like be in the in the movie theater when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. I'll bet it's that guy. <laughs> Shh, shut up. Um but yeah, and and in this instance, Chris asks, what man? And in the next shot, as if he heard her, Kinderman is taking off his hat to introduce mm-hmm. himself. No words. We don't we don't even see his face. Right. And and this is followed by another great cut, right? Like I was going on and on about the beautiful shots in this film, but we also got to talk about these cuts, right? They say so much without saying anything at all, right? We don't we don't have this long, drawn-out scene in the foyer, right? Like Miss mm-hmm. McNeil, I am Detective Kinderman. Oh, Nice to meet you, detective. Nothing like that, right? We just, we just like, like in the kitchen now having tea and, or, or coffee, sorry. Um, and <laughs> I keep thinking it's tea. Um, and, and we can piece together that that scene did happen, but mm-hmm. like it wasn't important or as important as the ones that we're seeing. Right. We, yeah, we had that information already, so don't, we don't need it again. Yeah. But one thing you glossed over a little bit is in the Ooh. shot of the back of Kinderman's head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We see Carl leading Chris in, uh-huh. and Chris is looking like, oh, who's this asshat, right? Mm-hmm. And she puts the crucifix down on the side table. Oh. Now, that will be – we don't really think about it here. Like, if we if we notice the crucifix at all, we're like, okay, she's done with that. But it's going to go missing in a second and be mm-hmm. used upstairs. Yes. Used. Used um, for prayer, right? <laughs> Of a sort. Yeah. Oh, in, in, in Jesus' name, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, guys, we're getting... We're, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're getting closer to that minute. Uh, okay. All right. Whew. Yeah. I've had, I've had um, guests uh, tell me... I was like, oh, yeah, what, what minute would you like to, uh, to come on and talk about? And a lot of them uh, tell me the minutes, and a lot, of them, a lot of them tell me what minutes they don't want to come on and talk about. <laughs> You can yeah, guess which one that one is. That's coming up. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. 
So I think it's just going to be you and me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. If I us mean, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll outsource it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, I actually just want to dip into here um, with a very, very short reading from the book of Blatty, uh, mm-hmm. just because I feel like this is a good uh Carl character moment here. So our reading actually starts in the McNeil home when Chris is asking about the cross and then it kind of dips into Barringer Clinic um, and foundation and foundation, right? And then uh, dips back again. Um, so, uh, so, so bear with us as we, as we go through all of these different scenes. Okay. So a reading from the book of Blatty. Chris found Sharon in the kitchen, setting up her typewriter on the table. She had just brought it up from the basement playroom. Willie sliced carrots at the sink for a stew. Was it you who put the crucifix under the pillow, Cher? Chris asked with a strain of tension. What do you mean? Asked Sharon, fuddled. You didn't? Chris, I don't even know what you're talking about. Look, I told you. I told you on the plane. All I've ever said to Rags is, God made the world and and maybe things about, fine, Sharon, fine, I believe you. But me, I don't put it, growled Willie defensively. Somebody put it in there, goddammit, Chris erupted, then wheeled on Carl as he entered the kitchen and opened the refrigerator door. Look, I'll ask you again. She gritted in a tone that verged on shrillness. Did you put that crucifix under her pillow? No, madam, he answered levelly. He was folding ice cubes into a face towel. No, no cross. That fucking cross didn't just walk up there, goddamn you! One of you is lying! She was shrieking with a rage that stunned the room. Now you tell me who put it there! Who? Abruptly, she slumped into a chair and began to sob into trembling hands. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing, she wept. Oh my god, I I, I don't know what I'm doing. Willie and Carl watched silently as Sharon came up beside her and kneaded her neck with a comforting hand. Hey, okay, it's okay. Chris wiped at her face with the back of her sleeve. Yeah, I guess whoever did it, she sniffled, was only trying to help. Look, I'm telling telling you again, again, and you'd better better believe it. I'm not about about to put her in a goddamn asylum. It's, It's, I don't care what you call it. I'm not letting her out of my sight. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, sorry. Christ, 88 doctors and all you can tell me with all your bullshit. Chris smoked a cigarette, tamped it out nervously, and went upstairs to look in on Regan. She opened the door. In the gloom of the bedroom, she made out a figure by Regan's bedside. Sitting in a straight-backed wooden chair, Carl. What was he doing, she wondered. As Chris moved closer, he did not look up, but kept his gaze on the child's face. He had his arm outstretched and was touching it. What was in his hand? As Chris reached the bedside, she saw what it was. The improvised ice pack he had fashioned in the kitchen. Carl was cooling Reagan's forehead. Chris was touched, stood watching with surprise, and when Carl did not move or acknowledge her presence, she turned and quietly left the room. So yeah, so uh, just a little snippet of there. Uh, we see Carl being very tender towards Reagan, almost mm-hmm. as if um, he sees Reagan as his own child. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, well, that may or may not come up a little bit later. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, but again, that that idea that she like realizes that she's overreacted and said like, oh, whoever did it was did it because they loved Reagan. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The movie, the the Friedkin Blatty version of this, right, uh, trims that off, so we never get right. that that really nice, beautiful moment. Nope, yeah. not not for the movie. Nope, thanks. Nope, 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 nope. But yeah, so. So folks, our minute ends. We're back. We're back in the movie, and uh, we just let Kinderman in, um, like a like a uh, a, a frumpy vampire. Um, <laughs> we've invited him in, and now he's never going to leave. Um, he's going to keep showing up. Um, keep asking but, for coffee. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> You can't wait for that. Um, and so our minute ends with our well-manicured detective, did you notice that, um, playing with his coffee as he prepares to ask Chris a series of 
very disturbing questions. Um, but we'll have to wait until the next minute to hear what they are. For now, that's all I got. Keenan, uh, what about you? No, I think that's everything. Okay. Folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I have been Lester Ryan Clark. You can catch me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz, and you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. Awesome. Yes, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join, and we'll let you in here with us. We got a couple uh, new folks uh, in there this week. Um, thank you so much to everyone who's also shared the show by uh, word of mouth on and on social media. And a big thank you to everybody who's been giving us those five-star ratings uh, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the show. Um, we really appreciate it. And folks, if you really like the show, give us like a little like one-sentence review because that actually helps the algorithm, makes us more visible, um, and helps our little podcast to grow and find more cool people like yourself. We love the algorithm. We love all hail the algorithm. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I sounded like Alan Rickman there. <laughs> algorithm Rickman. I don't know. Keenan. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, somehow. <laughs> Until next time. The, the power, power of Palpatine compels you. Good, good. Darth, good. <laughs> Darth, smash. <laughs> Darth, sagious. <laughs> My grandchild. <laughs> Folks, did we ever tell you the story of Darth Plagius the Wise? <laughs> <laughs> where where can I hear that story? Not on the Exorcist Minute. <laughs> how? How, Keenan? How? You know what I'm asking. How? How how what? How how does he come back? <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> The Death Star doors do that, you know, kind of like vacuum seal open this, right? And now comes Dr. Klein, right? And he's like, a disturbance in the force. <laughs> Don't tell me a fucking disturbance in the force. <laughs> somehow, somehow Palpatine's returned 88 doctors. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> One of you put this Palpatine under my daughter's pillow. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would. What, what are you even talking about, Chris? Was it you, George Lucas? <laughs> I, I did not. Some computers. It's for kids. Yeah, yep, it's for kids. <laughs>